Well, it's good to be here today. How's everyone doing? Doing good? Yeah, yeah. Well, what a great time to be part of King's Church. Amen? Uh, just the stories of transformation Pastor Dell was sharing in the host time and just the seasons of expansion. Um, I was just thinking about it this morning, actually, that we're a few weeks away from a new decade. Hard to believe that, right? And I'm believing that uh, in, the, in, in the next decade, God is going to expand our influence even further than what it is now. Um, incredible. Even last week we heard, uh, we all heard that we're starting a campus in Charlottetown. How amazing is that? And so uh, God is just on the move and it's a great time to be part of what God is doing in this region in Atlantic Canada in our day. We are going to make history. We're going to make history. And so I'm excited about this. It's Christmas time too. We're starting a new series today called Come Back Christmas. If you have a Bible, um, I'm going to get you to open with me to a very familiar passage in Luke. Luke chapter one, we're going to spend some time in the Christmas story uh, today. Who loves Christmas? Everyone love Christmas? Yeah, it's great. I love, I love it too. All the, all the gifts and the trees and the lights and all the Christmas movies. Uh, anyone binge watching the Hallmark Christmas movies lately? Yeah, I watched one the other night with my wife. It was called Christmas Town. Smells. It sounds like a Hallmark, Hallmark Christmas movie, doesn't it? Uh, starring Candace Cameron Bure. Childhood crush, anybody? Yeah. Uh, love Christmas stories. We love them. They make us feel good. But I think just as much as we love Christmas stories, we love comeback stories. I love a good comeback story. Anyone else love a good comeback story? And what we're, what we're believing in this season, if it, starting today and moving into this month and in this season, not only are we saying this is a Christmas season, that we're believing that this is a comeback season for people in our church and a comeback season for people in our region. Amen? And so uh, today we're going to begin this series um, talking about comebacks. And we all love comebacks. We all do. Uh, whether it's uh, a team that scores a touchdown in the last seconds of the fourth quarter or, or, or someone you know who's, who has this major obstacle. Maybe it's an illness or a sickness that they've been going through, but they've overcome it. They've come through it. And we love comeback stories. They do something in our souls. They remind us that our circumstances that we're in right now don't have the final say. They don't have the final end. And the truth is, is we wonder it can come back happen for us, right? Can there be a comeback in my life? Now, there's all sorts of comebacks, and there's different storylines for comebacks. One of the comebacks uh, stories that we find even in movies today is, is, is the underdog story. Who loves a good underdog, right? It's the story of an underdog who comes, and they falter, and something happens, and then they, they come out, and they, they rise up, and they succeed beyond their dreams, right? Probably one of the biggest underdogs stories of our time is with this guy right here. That's Michael Jordan, yeah, he is the greatest basketball uh, player on planet Earth. Yeah, it's not LeBron James. If you're 25 years and younger, you need to understand this guy right here went to six championships, never went to a game seven, has six rings, he's 6-0, and case closed, all right? He is the best. But did you know, on top of all of his championships and on top of all of his rings and all of his, his, his brand, his sneakers, all of that, this guy was an underdog. It's amazing. He was cut in high school from his varsity basketball team. Wouldn't you hate to be the coach now, right? Who cut Michael Jordan, right? True underdog story, and we love it. Um, and then here's another one. Anyone know who this guy is? Rocky. Yeah, I love Rocky. He gets me hyped up and, uh, you know, true confession here. There's some days where it's just hard to motivate yourself. You know what I'm talking about? You just need an extra boost. And what I do is I go online and I'll watch Rocky videos, and I'll just get with the music pumping behind. Anybody else do that? 
no, I'm alone in that. So you probably don't shadow box either in your, you know, I'm undefeated by the way. Anyway, so well, we love a good underdog story. It's a comeback story. It stirs our soul. But then there's another type of storyline too. It's uh, the champion, one who's on top. And then they have this massive fall. And then, you know, through hard work or whatever, uh, you know, a change of fortunes, they make this big, massive return. And there's lots of stories to, to kind of describe this sort of storyline. But the one I can think of and always think of is this one. The New England Patriots, they had the biggest deficit in the Super Bowl and they came back from a 28 to three, you know, and they won the Super Bowl. Anyone else excited about that? No, okay, we don't have a lot of Patriots fans here. Uh, some of you are doubting them this year. They're going to go back to the Super Bowl. Trust me, right? Uh, but whatever storyline it is, I mean, we just love comebacks. We love to see those people from the bottom make it to the top. We love those stories of people coming through, like that, having massive hurdles and obstacles and being able to overcome those. We, or, or a transformation that was really big. And we really, we're really inspired by them. And, and I think we just, we, we cheer people on, especially those around us who are having comebacks in their lives and major transformations. But there's a part of us, if we can just be honest and vulnerable this morning, um, that there's a part of us that just kind of feels like, you know, when's my comeback going to happen? When, when is it going to happen for me? Because I think a lot of us can identify with the fact that, that you know, we, we, we've gone through seasons where we were, we're wondering, are, are we going to have a comeback? I think, we've all, I think we all have moments where we realize that life isn't what we thought it would be. It disappoints us. Or we started out in one direction only to find out that we're not really where we're supposed to be yet. And so we all long deep down inside of us for a comeback. We long for a fresh start, a change of heart. And my hope is whether it's today or in the next few weeks, that somebody here, somebody here, this is your season for a comeback. This is going to be your season. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is your season. This is your season. That's not too convincing, but it's someone's seasons today for a comeback. And here's the thing. Um, some of you just had someone turn to you, look you in the face and say, this is your season, but you don't even believe that. You doubt that. And that's who I'm speaking to today. I want to speak to the one where it's hard for even you to believe that a comeback is possible for you. And you, you're maybe in that place and you're realizing I'm losing right now. And I keep losing. I'm losing time. I might even be losing my family members. Sometimes we feel hopeless even in our relationships. We're losing our patience. But the real thing that we're losing, quite honestly, it's our hope. We're losing our hope. So I want to just talk for a few minutes, explore this question. What do you do when your hope is gone? What do you do when your hope is gone? Now, this doesn't seem like a very Christmassy thing to talk about, right? Christmas ought to be filled with joy and excitement and lights and trees and, you know, blow up, you know, things on your lawn, that sort of thing. But, but it, we cannot overlook the fact that when we enter into the Christmas story, as the Bible tells it, that we enter into a time and a stage just before Jesus is born to a nation that is absolutely hopeless. Israel is hopeless, 
Now, it wasn't always this way. In fact, if we look back and trace back into Israel's history and we go all the way back to its conception, uh, these were people who were, who were in slavery at time under, under, uh, under Pharaoh and, and, and they were being oppressed. In a couple of weeks, we're actually going to talk about oppression and slavery. Um, and, but God hears their cry and he sends a rescuer into Egypt and there's this major exodus. And all of a sudden you see a people who have no hope now have a robust hope. And then, you, and then you discover that they wander in the wilderness for 40 years and they start, their hope starts to wane again. And then all of a sudden the promised land is right before them and they finally cross over and Joshua leads them into the promised land and their hope is restored and, and a kingdom starts to be established and they start, finally get a great king and the King David. So everything is on the up and up and then over time again and again, their hope begins to wane. Maybe it's disobedience to the Lord. Maybe it's another army coming in and taking over, but their hope begins to wane and wane and wane. Let me put this into perspective for you today, a little bit about where these people are at in this situation. You see, some of us, we come in and we talk to our friends, we say, hey, we're having a tough time right now. These people have tough lifetimes. Like we have bad months, try having a bad millennia, right? And so when we enter into the story, it's one of the darkest places in the story. And so I wanna jump in in Luke chapter one, and um, we're going to pick up with a guy named Zechariah today. But just look at this, um, starting in verse 5. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. In the time of Herod, everyone has a time, right? You have a bad time and you have good time. We like to talk about the good times, but we don't like to talk about the bad times, right? So it was the time of Herod. There was a man named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His, his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron's the, the first high priest in Israel's history. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But look at this. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment because there's a couple of things worth noting here. The first thing I want you to note is this guy right here. It's the time of Herod. Herod. Herod was a puppet king that was placed in charge of Israel, most importantly in charge of Jerusalem, the most important city to the people of God by Rome. Rome had come in and they had taken over the entire world and they divided the, the Roman world into a variety of different regions and one of them was Israel and they placed people over top of those and Herod was over top of Israel at the time. Now, Herod was not a good guy. He was not very nice. In fact, he was crazy or as the young people say, cray-cray, right? Like they were, he was nuts. He was insecure. Um, he was just, he was oppressive, um, but he was also great, believe it or not. Um, later on in the, in, in the gospels, we find out there's a nickname for him. He's called Herod the Great. So he's crazy and he's great, right? Now let's start with the crazy, okay? He's a super insecure dude. In fact, history tells us that he, he married 10 women, he had 10 wives right? It is crazy. <laughs> Think about the alimony that guy would have to pay out, right? Uh, but he didn't have to because the story tells us uh, he actually killed all 10 wives. That's how insecure this guy is. Um, some, some, some historians say that um, he would see two servants talking to each other and he was so insecure that they were kind of planning against, uh, against him that he had them killed at, at a time. So this is a psycho who is in power, right? 
but at the same time, he's great. And he's great with architecture, and he's great with buildings and structures and monuments. In fact, today, if you go to Israel, there are still things that you can go visit that Herod built from that time period, believe it or not. One of them is an entire city called Caesarea. Just this beautiful, elaborate city that he made in honor of Caesar. That's why it's called Caesarea. It's his way of saying, Caesar, I love you. I'm going to make a shrine to you. Because he was manipulative. He was manipulative to Caesar. He's manipulative to the Jews as well. Another place he made is is called Masada. Masada. Masada is this like um, ancient spa, like day spa, right? Um, It was just a resort and it's awesome. And it was great at that time. And then finally, and maybe some of you have actually stood in this place in Israel, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, uh, the Wailing Wall. Everyone know what I mean by the Wailing Wall? Yeah, uh, Herod built that. And he built that as an extension to the temple as a way of getting on the good side of the, peop- uh, of the people of Israel. Because he wanted, to, be, he wanted to, to keep them under oppression, but he also wanted to, to, to exalt Caesar at the same time. And so he had this way of manipulating people. This guy, Herod, not only did he create all these structures, but the temple that Zechariah, the priest, goes and work in was built by who? Guess who? Herod, right? So when we, when, we, when we pick up Zechariah's story, this guy is a priest. That means he goes into a temple that is built by Herod. You think you work in a bad, bad place. Every day that you walk in to go to work, you're reminded that this temple was built by a pagan king. And you're reminded about the power that he has over you and that you have no control over your life at all. That's a dark place to be. And then we also find out um, some personal information that Zechariah and his wife cannot have children. They're childless. And they're not even able to have children. They can't conceive and they're both very old. I can't get into all the ramifications socially about a, a woman not being able to have a child in this time period. But the word childless here, we might as well replace it with hopeless. I'm going to talk about hopeless and dark times. This is, you know, not only are you in an oppressive environment, but you have no way to make a good contribution to it. And have you ever been in a place like that where you're just in a dark season, a dark time, your hope is gone? Now, I want to, before we talk about hope, I do want to talk about hopelessness for one second. The first thing about hopelessness is this, if you're taking notes, here's the first thing. Hopelessness is universal. It's universal. We all get it, right? Can we just all admit stuff happens? Things happen in our lives. We all have seasons that we, that we go through. Did you know good people have dark times? Godly people have dark times, right? Did you not read the description of Zechariah and his wife? The Bible says what we just read, they were righteous in the sight of the Lord. They were righteous in the sight of the Lord. Pastors have dark moments. We do. We're not always perfect. And the days aren't always bright. We have dark moments. And some of you might be here to say, today and say, well, I'm not really hopeless, but maybe you're discouraged. Don't sleep on your discouragement because discouragement precedes destruction. You see, hopelessness doesn't just happen in a moment. You slide into it very subtly. One day you wake up and it may be just time after time, I'm discouraged over this and this isn't working over here and my family member isn't responding the way I want them to. And you come to a place and you wake up one day and you just feel hopeless. I know good people who love Jesus, who attend church every week, who find themselves in a dark time. 
And I think we're susceptible to it, quite honestly, if I can just be honest with you. And the reason I, f- I think we feel that a lot is because we as people, church people, Christians, we know, to, we know what a real high is, don't we? Like we come in every week to a place like this and we have people, you know, singing and, and we're raising our hands in worship and we got people praying for us and we got people loving on us and all that. And then we, we come and we feel the high and then we go out on Monday and we back, go back into a work environment where Herod is king. And you feel that low, do you not? It's universal, everyone feels it. But then the second thing is too, hopelessness isn't just universal, it can repeat itself. It can happen time and time and time again. I don't, I don't know about you, but I wish my dark times was just a dark time. Can we just all have it in one lump sum and get it over with? You know what I mean? Like I wish, I wish hopelessness was like chicken pox. Just get it once and you're good, right? <laughs> But it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't, right? And the truth is, is that it can repeat itself if you allow it to. And I think that's a key statement. If you allow it to. Here's the third thing I want you to know about hopelessness. Hopelessness is contagious. You can catch it from others. Some of us are in dark places because we spend people who are in dark places constantly. And I know this doesn't sound too Christmassy, and please hear my heart in this. For your own sake and for your own darkness, like do yourself a favor and give yourself a Christmas gift and stop spending so much time with people like that. Because it's contagious. You ever get around people like that? And over time, you just start to see discouragement happening in your life, and you don't even know why. Sometimes it's just the people that you connect with, right? So hopelessness is contagious. Um, It's also circumstantial. There's always a cause. There is. And there's different reasons why people get hopeless, you know? Um, probably the, main, the three main ones that I can think of is there are circumstances. There are just things outside of our control. We have no control over it. It just happened in life. It, it's the same with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They, they can't have a baby. They're too old. They can't conceive. It's just stuff. It just happens, right? The second is others. We just touched on that. But all of us, I think we have a Herod in our life, don't we? And there's someone who's going to oppress us and always, you know, be over us or whatever. The third one, don't sleep on this either. The third one um, is, you know, the the third reason why we we feel hopeless oftentimes is because of me. Anyone else really good at putting themselves in a dark place? I'm really good at that. Like, I am the best. um, Probably, I'm my own worst enemy a, a lot of times. That I feel, I, I've often talked myself into places that I, I know that I'm not supposed to be. And so it's circumstantial. There's always a cause to the reason why we're hopeless. hopeless. But then here's the final thing I just want to mention about hopelessness today is hopelessness is deadly. It can kill you. It can kill your relationships. It can kill your energy. It can kill your passion for life. An interesting statement here in the text, actually, verse 8. It describes um, what Zechariah's job is like. It says this, once when Zechariah's division was on duty. I, I don't like that word duty, right? Like, where's the passion, man? Are you passionate about going to work? Are you passionate about living your life? How many of you get to that point where you were passionate and now you just life is just a routine? I just do it on duty. I go to work on duty. I go to that Christmas party with my family because it's a duty. I got to go to church because it's my duty, Right? And we get into that rut, we get into that place. And today what I want to, again, I want to just hit this question for us. What do you do when your hope is gone? Is there a way out? Can it ever come back? That's probably a better question. Can we get our hope to come back? Can I get my hope to come back? Is there hope for my hope, right? 
And, what I, and I believe, and, and you're here today, I've got some good news for you because God is an expert in comebacks. And not only that, God is an expert at working with your life in dark times, in dark places. And what I want to do today, just very quickly, is I want to leave you with three reasons why you can be confident and why you can be excited that your hope can come back this season, all right? And we see these right in the text. So I want to keep reading uh, today, just uh, verse 11. So he goes into the temple. Um, The Bible says that he was chosen by Lot, and he goes in to do his duty. And his duty was actually to go keep some fire burning for the incense to keep going. And the incense represent worship. Um, And so he goes in, and he's doing this, and all of a sudden he realizes, that he's not alone. It says, verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I would be too if you saw an angel, right? But then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, let's read this. Let's look at the statement. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. This will happen for you. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. That is such good news. Do you hear the confidence coming from heaven itself to Zechariah in this morning? You will have a son. And Zechariah, you may not see it. The odds might be stacked up against you, but it is going to happen for you. You will bear a child. Someone else isn't going to bear your child and you're not going to come along and adopt it. You're not going to foster it, but your wife is going to carry this inside of her yourself. I know you don't think it's possible and I know you think you're too far gone, but I'm about to come and do something so that you can carry a child again. And here's the thing, and I think this is important for us today, is that some of us see our souls the way Zechariah sees his wife's womb. That it's too far gone. That my best years are behind me. That it's too, it's too much closed off. I can never have hope in my heart again. It's too far gone. And I'm here to tell you that if God can, can bring forth a child from a closed up womb, God can bring forth a fresh hope from a closed up soul. I truly believe that. And I'm convinced that your comeback is possible. And here's the first reason why I'm convinced of that. It's because my hope comes back from within. It comes from the inside. This is really good news because if it comes from within, it doesn't come from without. It means that my circumstances, whether they're good or bad, don't affect my hope. It means the people in my life, whether they're good influences or bad influences, they don't affect my hope. It means what I tell myself, whether it's good or whether it's bad, it does not affect my hope. My hope comes from within. Now hear me on this, hope is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's not blind optimism. It's not working harder. Real hope has substance. It's alive in you. It's interesting in 1 Peter, when Peter's talking about hope to the church, this is how he describes hope. He talks about it as a living hope. It is something that is inside of you that is alive, that God actually creates in you and he speaks it over your life. That is real 
hope. But here's something I know to be true and something that I think we miss often that we misunderstand. We know that God comes and he creates this hope in us, but why do I still feel hopeless? Because here's why. Because when God creates it in us, he does that part, but it's our job to cultivate it. Are you with me? It's our job to feed our hope. It's it's my job to, to make sure my hope grows. Right? He, he births it in me, but I got to be the one to nurture it. I got to be the one to take care of it. Just like growing a baby, right? You're pregnant with hope, but you have to grow that baby. My, like right now, my wife and I, or my wife actually, not me, but she's in her third trimester of pregnancy. We're about to have our third kid. Yeah. Which is exciting. Yeah. I need your prayers actually. Thanks for the encouragement. Last service, someone came to me after service and they said, uh, Three, three kids is the worst, you know? <laughs> Thanks for your encouragement. That's great. <laughs> but right now, her job as the mom of this, we see the baby, we see the bump, but what she has to do is grow this thing, right? Ladies, how do you grow a baby? What do you do? You eat, right? You eat lots, right? Um, and for whatever reason, um, people are just obsessed with helping grow your baby with you, you know? Uh, last week, uh, we, we had something called New Connections, uh, a lunch after church in Halifax, and it's for people who are brand new to the church, and we just have a pizza or whatever with them, soup and sandwiches, and we always have desserts and chocolate and whatever, and we were coming to the end, and someone, someone who was organizing the event gave me a plate of food, and you ever get a plate of food, and then they put another plate on top of it so you can't really see what's underneath it? You know what I mean? Like they come up and they hand it to me. They're just like a football. Like it's like, here, take this. And this is what they say. Give this to your wife. I'm like, okay. You know, so I'm talking like, why am I just my wife? You know, what about me and my two other kids? Right? And so I go home. I didn't even look underneath this thing. I go home. I lift it up. It's three plates stacked on top of each other of pure chocolate. I'm like, what? You just, man, what are you, Michelin man coming out of my wife? My goodness, right? Like, I mean, but you have to grow your baby. Some of you have loved Jesus and you come to church and you're going through a season and you think you've lost hope. And I'm here to tell you, you haven't lost hope, actually. You haven't lost your hope. That's not the problem. You're pregnant with hope. Your problem is, is that you haven't cultivated your hope. Like your hope is not healthy. It's malnutritious hope. And God wants you to have a healthy hope and you gotta feed yourself. You gotta cultivate the hope that God has placed within you. This is why reading your Bible matters. This is why engaging in worship, when I say engaging, it is lifting your voice. It is lifting your hands because something happens in my soul. Hope begins to grow when I engage with the Lord in this way. Do you know some of the best songs and best Psalms that were ever written by David? He wrote them in a dark cave. Why? Because he knew that in the dark place, when I, when I just lift my voice and I, and I put my, my pen on a paper and allow the Lord to speak to me in that moment, it grows my hope. It's important why you should come for prayer and receive prayer from time to time. Because some of us, we come here and we can't even feed ourselves. And the church is a beautiful body and a beautiful place where when I'm going through those dark times and I can't feed myself, we have people here to feed us for us, to receive from the Lord. That's why being part of church is so important. And and something even more important that you need to understand about yourself is that God has designed you, he's designed me, he's designed for, uh, for every human on planet earth to be filled with hope. It is essential to your life. 
Hope is not some unnecessary luxury. We all need hope. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. He says, out of all the things of your life, there are three things that need to remain in your life. Faith, hope, and love. Three things. They're that important for you to have. You need to be filled with hope. And not only that, I know this to be true. You're at your best when you're filled with hope, aren't you? And God wants to fill you with his hope. My hope comes from within. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 15. He says, may the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and with all peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit can, can, may, may abound in hope through you. Not only is your hope supposed to grow, it's supposed to abound. It's supposed to grow so big that it has no other place to go but out, right? Like when a baby comes, right? It goes so big, there's, it's got to come out, right? And, and it's the same, true, the same is true with our, with, 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 with our hope. And that's what the angel's saying. Hey, you will bear a child. You will have a hope that is so great. At some point, it's going to come out. It's going to be that amazing. And it's going to come within. But here's the second part. My hope comes back for others. It's not just coming back from within. For me, it's actually, it's actually for other people. Look what it says in verse 16. Look what, what the angel describes about the baby that is in, in, in going to be coming from, from Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, he will bring back many of the people. Look at that. This thing growing inside of you is actually going to bring, is going to actually cause more comebacks to happen for others. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's incredible. That's an incredible statement. What is he saying? He's saying what is growing inside of you? It's, you're not just pregnant with something amazing. You're, you're potent. Inside of you, there's something that is powerful that is coming out of you. And it has the power to affect change in other people's lives, to change the atmosphere, to change relationships, all of that. And this is why Peter in 1 Peter says this. He says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Why? Because people are going to see it coming out of you and saying, oh my goodness, what is that? It, because it's, it's got power to change. I think this is why I love our Celebrate Recovery so much. I really do. Pastor Adam and Pastor Julie just do a fantastic job here. And um, I'm really excited about Celebrate Recovery because in the last couple of weeks if we've been having our vision night um, for our Forest and the Seed series. One of the things that we've um, been sharing, just been placed on my heart is that in 2020, um, Halifax, our campus is gonna take on Celebrate Recovery. We're gonna expand Celebrate Recovery even to Halifax. And so I'm so, super excited about that. And our people are just getting like super jacked up for this. They're so excited. We got a whole team of people together and um, we need a place though. We're, we're going to need a place to do this on a consistent basis. And so if you can covenant with me to be praying with our people about finding a location there, just to be able to have a consistent ministry, because consistency is important with this ministry. But um, this past week, uh, one, one person reached out to me and they said, uh, Hey pastor, can I meet with you? And I was like, sure. And they didn't really tell me why, which always scares me, you know? And so I meet this person in a coffee shop and I'm sitting down and I'm waiting. Uh oh, what are you saying to me, right? And they look at me and they said, okay, at Vision Night, you guys only talked about one program. That's it. Celebrate recovery. Why? I want to know why. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I looked at them and I thought about it for a second. I said, and I said, because there's going to be a lot of people who have no hope, who are going to come into an environment with people who have a lot of it. 
You see, it's not the program that changes people. It's hope. That's the power of hope. That people are just pouring out with hope, abounding with hope with what God is doing in your life. So do not sleep on the fact that what God has deposited in you and what your job is to cultivate and grow isn't just for you. It's for others. That your hope, even if you're in a place right now and you're saying, I don't even know if I have hope. And if God wants to give you back your hope in this season, it's not just going to be for you. It's going to be for other people as well. How amazing is that? It has the power to change lives and generations and, 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 and people all around us. Now, some of you are like, really, me? Little old me? Zechariah kind of had that response. Look at verse 18. So the angel comes and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And he's going to be great. He's going to be powerful. Look at verse 18. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Anyone else feel like that sometimes? You go to God like, are you sure? You know what he's asking for? He's asking for more proof. God, prove it to me. Prove to me that this is real, that this is actually going to happen. And my my third point is this, and this is the main reason why I think your comeback is possible here and why I believe it's possible with God is because my hope comes back from above. It does, it comes back from above. Look at the angel's response. I love this response too, by the way. Look what he says. You want, you want proof? Okay, I am Gabriel. Hello, I'm an angel. And I've been standing in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you. Can you imagine this? One of God's archangels is placed on assignment for you personally. Do you need any more proof? He says, I, I am Gabriel, right? And this is the reason, if you're here today and you're kind of like, I don't know, you don't know my life, pastors, no, no, no. Listen, listen, I'm confident that your comeback is possible because when you come into this house, we believe that our comeback is from above. It's from heaven. Heaven is on your side. Heaven is for your comeback and you've been approved for it. This is your season. And I gotta tell you one thing, it's great to have your family behind you. It's great to have your friends behind you and, and you know, praise God for all those people. But it's another thing when almighty God is behind your comeback and he, and he longs for it to happen. And one of the things I hope you can see is how far God goes for you to have a comeback, for you to have your, your hope restored. He sends an angel. He deploys an angel from heaven to you. What a beautiful picture. How God is willing to to span the chasm of time to go from heaven to earth and, 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 and bring an announcement to you to say, guess what? This will happen for you. You will carry a baby again. You will carry your hope again. But the good news for you and I today is that God didn't just send an angel to you and I. He deployed his son, Jesus. His very own son, Jesus, for us. Which the prophet Isaiah would say he's called Emmanuel, God with us. God depositing from heaven into our hopelessness, into our dark place. That's good news. Isaiah, was, Isaiah saw this day happening hundreds of years before it even happened. And this is the words he uses for this, for this particular day. He says, there will be a people walking in darkness who will see a great light. An amazing thing that our God is willing to go beyond just from heaven to earth to come into our darkness 
so that you and I can have hope. Here's, here's the crux of the message today, and it's this. Real comeback starts with Jesus. Starts with Jesus. I know that sounds oversimplistic, but it does. It starts with Jesus. You see, we often think we need to do something great in ourselves in order to have a comeback. You know, we often think we have to jump high hurdles or climb ladders to heaven, and, or at least we feel like we've got to be in the right place at the right time. Maybe it's my time, or maybe I'm just lucky in this. And here's the good news. The, 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 uh, the, the essential action has nothing to do with you and I. Not at all. If anything, it's about Jesus being in the right place at the right time. And as we find out, even in this moment, it's not about Zechariah being in the temple. Oh, it just was the right day. This is an ordinary day. But he came into a moment where he realized that God is here at the right place at the right time. And we find out Jesus comes at the right place at, at the right time. The New Testament, Paul would talk about the birth of Jesus in Galatians, and he says, it was the fullness of time. The time was right. And we go through the Gospels and we see this baby who's going to grow up. And by the way, we celebrate not just a baby born in a manger, we celebrate a baby who grew up and walked this earth and loved people. And he stepped into moments with people. And those moments, as we read the gospels, were very dark places, hopeless moments. I think of Zacchaeus, tax collector, sinner, person who had robbed people. Jesus comes walking in at the right place at the right time. Normal day for Zacchaeus, hiding in a tree. And he says, no, 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 I'm coming into your house today. I'm coming to bring hope to you today. I think of uh, the lady who's caught in adultery and she's being dragged out into the middle of the road about to be stoned to death. You wanna talk about hopelessness, a dark place. And guess who comes and stands around the crowd in the circle? But one who does not have a stone, but Jesus who comes along and says, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping in, I'm stepping into this moment. I'm gonna restore you, I'm gonna restore your hope. I'm gonna give you back your hope. I know you don't have any, but I'm gonna give it to you right now. Go and sin no more, he says. Lazarus is in a tomb. He's dead. And guess who comes at the right place at the right time? This man grows up and he walks through Israel 2,000 years ago and then at the right place at the right time. It was the moment, the, the moment that he's on a cross. It's the right place at the right time. The, the history hinges on this moment. You realize that? The right place at the right time. And he rises from the dead to give us hope, the right place at the right time. And this is good news to us today because it, what it means to us is it's never too late and we're never too far gone, never too far gone. doesn't matter how dark the darkness gets. doesn't matter how, how deep it goes. I'm here to tell you today that oftentimes the darkest times are always before the dawn and the light has come. And it's descending upon you and I today. And the question is, are we in a place to receive this hope? What do we do when our hope is gone? What do we do? You know, it's interesting, the angel here, after he comes out and says, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> you know, duh, you're an angel, right? 
I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to you. And now, now look what happens. He says, now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Pastor Jay read that earlier in the service. Remember the first words out of Zechariah's mouth after the baby is born, there's a praise, an offering to the Lord. But this is just kind of a strange picture. Imagine an angel coming along just saying, zip it, you know? Don't you wish you had that power at times? Especially when my kid's crying at three in the morning, you know? Jack, shut up, you know? Um, but I actually think there's a, a unique invitation here. Um, Zechariah is in a hopeless situation. He's in a dark time. And even in the midst of all that, even as God's word is put forth to him, he still doubts. He's still doubting. Like today, the word of God has gone out and maybe you're still here and you're, you're doubting. And I think this message for the angels is actually something really powerful when we think about it. But many of us are in a place right now and we're, we're wanting more proof from God. God, how, how am I certain of this? How are you sure this is going to happen for me in my life? How can I be certain? And I think the Lord is trying to tell us today as we deal with this idea of hope and hopelessness that if you want to renew your hope, the best thing to do is just stop talking and start believing. Because when you, when you lose your ability to speak, the only thing left that you have that is powerful is your heart. And the only thing you can do with your heart is belief. And so there's some of you here today, maybe you're in a dark place or you're in a dark time and you're feeling hopeless. It is not the time to question God more. It is a time to lean in with faith more. To say, God, I am coming in my heart. I don't see it. I don't know it, but you are a way maker and you will make a way. I have no reason to be hopeful, but there is something that God does when he creates it in us fresh and anew. I think that's why, it's, that's why it's called born again. We're born again into a living hope, not a false hope, not a dead hope, but an actual hope that is alive in me. And when you catch that, when it's inside of you, it does not matter what obstacle is in front of you. It doesn't matter what circumstance that you will face. Death could be staring you in the face. And I've seen it with my own two eyes. People still have a living hope. It's a powerful experience and a powerful thing. And some of you might be here today and say, I don't, I don't have that hope. Well, this is your invitation. Your comeback starts today. And maybe for some of you, you're here today and you're like, my hope is waning and waning and waning. It's malnutritious. And I need to cultivate that. And I need more hope. And I need it to grow again in my life. And in just a moment, we're gonna have people come and stand up here and present themselves to you and be here to help feed you, pray for you so that you can receive, so that your hope can grow, especially in this season. Christmas is a season of hope. And some of us, I think some of us, we have, and you know, we find ourselves in exile and it might not even be open. I like to call it a silent exile where we're kind of in our own prison and no one knows about it. You know, there was a prophet that was in exile one time. It was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was there exile. It basically was like a, a prison that the people of God were in, in another country. And God saw them in their exile and he comes to them and he says this beautiful thing to them. He says, I know the plans I have for you. 
plans to restore you and to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. God puts the same, he raises your hope to the same level as your future. And today God is leaning into you and saying, activate your faith, lean into your faith and come let your hope grow again. I'd firmly believe that the measure of your faith will be the measure of your hope. I truly believe that. And so today, maybe you're here and you're just saying, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless with my kids. I'm hopeless in my business. I'm hopeless with my life. I'm hopeless. I'm just hopeless. I don't have, I just don't feel it. I'm a shell of myself. I want to provide an opportunity for you to respond today as the Holy Spirit just moves in us and works in us today. Let's begin this season of comeback. Comeback starts today. It starts today. Hope comes back today. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we just say thank you for your your grace in these moments and these mercy in these moments, Lord. We find ourselves in a moment right now. Um, and heaven is aware that this moment would happen long before we even came into it. And you drop down in this moment to remind us in your word that you are here to give us what we cannot do for ourselves. Um, we cannot manufacture a hope. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't manufacture a baby. They needed God to come and touch them and create in them what they could not create themselves. And so today I pray, like, would you do miraculous things amongst us in our hearts and our souls today? Would you, would to the one who, who wonders if their soul is too closed or their hope is gonna wane and disappear someday, I pray that today, Lord, would you, would you rise within us a faith to be able to lean in to lean in to you, the one who is the giver of hope, who you are our hope, the one and only, our true King, our Jesus, Lord. And we love you, God. And we thank you that we can come to you, that we can be real with you, that we can be vulnerable with you. God, you already know our condition long before we even come to you. And so there's no pretenses anymore. But Lord, I pray that this would be a church. King's Church would be known as a place of hope. And not even just a place of hope, but a people of hope. And not only a people of hope, but people abounding with hope. That when we go out into the highways and byways of the world, that when we go into Herod's temple on Monday or Herod's wherever we go to work or whatever, that we would be people of hope. It doesn't matter the circumstances, it doesn't matter who's over us, it doesn't matter what sort of affliction we're in. We are hopeful people and it will just come out of us, Lord. And I pray that we will have conversations and opportunities to tell people about the hope that is within us, that is growing within us. So Lord, thank you for the fact that you do not leave us in our dark place, that you're very much aware of where we are and that you deploy not only your angel, but your only begotten son to us to bring and breathe life in us, Lord, when we had none. So Lord, we love you today and we, we declare over this place that we will receive a living hope that is only from heaven, only from you.